We hear God's word, Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting forty days and forty nights, he was hungry. And the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the pinnacle of the holy to the took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him if you are the son of god throw yourself down for it's written he will command his angels concerning you and on their hands they will bear you up lest you strike your foot against a stone jesus said to him again it is written you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, All these I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan, for it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verses 19 and 20. Choose life, that you and your offspring may live, loving the Lord your God, obeying his voice, and holding fast to him for he is your life. In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. In the violent Chicago of the 1920s, one of the important forces for law and stability was a judge named John Lyle. He tells us in his book, The Dry and Lawless Years, how the mobs had carved up the city of Chicago allocating to each of themselves one region or another. Eventually, this truce broke down, and violence began to threaten mob profits and even mob life. Something had to be done. One afternoon, Judge Lyle was accosted on the street by a well-known loop character, not a gangster himself, but someone close to Al Capone. He had a proposition. A peace conference was necessary, and the rival leaders had decided on Judge Lyle as the arbiter. He would reshape the boundaries. They would abide by his decision. His payoff would be political support if he ever decided to run for mayor. The judge writes, I was flabbergasted. Here I was doing my utmost to boot them into prison. And they were asking me to help them plant their feet even more firmly on Chicago soil. He asked himself, is there anything as weird as the gangster mine? John Lyle had to choose sides, just as Jesus did in the great temptations that came upon him at the beginning of his ministry. 
We're approaching the season of Lent, Ash Wednesdays, in two weeks. And with it, the church begins its own 40-day countdown. That's to Palm Sunday, on to Good Friday, and to the glory of the resurrection that follows. The church always hears the temptation story in the lead-up to Lent. It trains us in discernment and discipline, so we might esteem Christ's life and death for us and enter with him into the risen life of Easter. I'm not preaching on the temptation story this morning, but I think we feel its force. Who wouldn't be tempted by a, a full stomach, a soft landing, and a blaze of glory? And so when we hear Moses' call to choose life, we know Christ has been there before us, and we're walking in his strength. Choose life, he says, explaining himself in those three parallel phrases. Love the Lord your God, obey his voice, hold fast to him. To choose life, then, is first of all to declare that God as we know him in Jesus Christ, is the primary loyalty of life. When we hear that temptation story, we know that there are sides. It almost sounds like a military engagement. The Israelites and the Philistines lined up against each other, the battle ready to be joined. This isn't the romantic understanding of love in which you're a helpless victim of sweeping forces of attraction. This is bigger than both of us, you say. We didn't ask for this to happen to us. Or we speak vaguely of chemistry, as if the relationship were somehow compelled by the periodic table of elements and the rules of molecular attraction. You don't choose love, it chooses you. And I fully admit the tumultuous ways that even our best relationships may engage us. But in all relationships, there are sides to choose. You know this even if your high school has athletic teams or you've been following the run-up to the Super Bowl. Two high schools I know about were such rivals that the, that the night of the big game really became dangerous and they finally decided not to play. They did not play for 25 years. When they resumed their schedule not long ago, their first game attracted a lot of notice, and it turns out nothing had changed. One former player drove in from 100 miles away. He wouldn't miss that game. Another one said, the fans on the other side really revved you up. I still get goosebumps thinking about the excitement. There are sides in life sometimes told not to think of life that way. It's so simplistic, so polarizing, so binary. And especially in religion and faith, doesn't everyone basically believe in the same God and head for the same place anyway? And doesn't Paul tell us all things are yours? And aren't we free to roam the world and enjoy all its riches? I'm glad to confess all of those assertions about Christ's creation, his lordship, redemption through the one name. But we live in the not yet world where 
not all of that is realized and there are still sides with us. The more diverse our society becomes, the more we need to define ourselves as Christ's people, not in frightened dismissiveness, but in confident understanding of who we are and why. So there are sides because in Jesus, God was entering the world in person to engage evil in combat. It's not a football game. There are sides because there's a war. I suppose that most people here have already chosen to follow Christ Jesus. You've declared your love and loyalty to him, taking sides. Still, Moses had to speak these words to people whose parents had come out of Egypt, passed through the Red Sea, but that was years ago, and the folks who knew the rules were all gone. Moses thinks he better say it again plainly. You must choose life. You must love God. One of the things the university does is to give you a chance to think through things you've always taken for granted when the folks who know the rules aren't around. That's a good thing, exhilarating, maybe even scary. God knows that. God wants it, thinking through old truths to form your own opinions here and now. Through the Holy Spirit, Moses still speaks. Choose God. Choose Christ. Make him the focus of your loving loyalty. To choose life is in the second place, to live out the ways of that loyalty. Obey the Lord your God. In giving ourselves up to God, we discover we've come to something that's already here, something that already exists. That's not just God. It's the people of the covenant and the ways of the covenant. Other people have been here first. They've tried things that didn't work. We can find out what some of them think about those tries. Moses was there because the people had come to the boundaries of the Holy Land 40 years before and had refused to go in. When God told them that was a mistake and they would have to be punished, they insisted they would go in. God told them not to try, but they were determined to do it anyway. In business nowadays, they call this malicious compliance, and the Bible already knows it doesn't work. So to choose sides is to be on side and to play the game the way it's designed and according to the rules. Love God, Moses says, and obey his voice. And it's above all scripture that brings us that way of life. Not first of all a code of rules that you learn and agree to. Rather, it's a new relationship that begins to exercise its constraint upon us. The very world we live in exercises constraint on us. Great natural beauty moves us. A psychiatrist prescribed a domineering patient to visit Niagara Falls and, as he put it, take a long look at something bigger than yourself. The nighttime sky has always moved people, usually towards awe and realism about themselves. 
great art can have the same effect upon us. And that's perhaps the meaning of a famous line from the German poet Rilke, who saw in the museum a torso of an ancient statue of the Greek god Apollo. It was broken and incomplete, but the artistry was so moving, he felt the searching effect of encountering another person. Here, he wrote, here there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. And if an object of genius can do that, how much more a person? Truly to love someone means finally willingness to change your life in keeping with the other. Human love is reciprocal, of course, and you work out the deeds and rules of your shared life through discussion, through trust, through mutual self-giving. But a relationship brings expectations and you feel the force of being known. You must change your life. Our relationship with God is like that. In giving him our love, we open up ourselves to being known by him. There is no place that does not see you. God has expectations for our lives. There are ways to live and not to live. And because we love him, we choose his. You may remember that old movie, As Good As It Gets. That's 15 years ago now with Jack Nicholson and Helen Hunt. Jack Nicholson was a compulsive man, Melvin Udall. Part of the movie is his conversion. And among the things that happen is he falls in love. He tells one of his friends, I can't get back my old life. She's evicted me from my life. God intends to evict us from some things we'd otherwise be thinking and doing. The Bible's our best guide to what those things are. They're binding on us, but not because they're in the Bible. They're in the Bible because they're binding on us. Because God has let us know some of the things that don't work. And human experience has confirmed the wisdom of that guidance. In a loving relationship with God, there is no place that does not see you. You must change your life. And then Moses tells us that we must hold fast to God. He asks us to keep living the life of faith and service. There are many reasons to drop out. Maybe life doesn't seem much better as a Christian than as an outsider. Maybe you resent it that life still has hardships in it. Maybe familiarity with Christian things and people leads you to lose respect for them. Maybe you suffer from moral fatigue. You're so tired of doing right when nobody else is. To hold fast may also be difficult under circumstances of suspicion, derision, hostility, including the disappearance of Christianity as a primary factor in our society. Or maybe you feel that most keenly in times of personal distress and grief, in the setbacks and tragedies that life sometimes issues us, it's here we sometimes have to decide finally whether to turn away from Christ or to hold out in the dark. Sometimes those are the only options. 
I know, of course, that my salvation does not finally depend on me, but on God's Son, my Lord and Savior. But I also hear these biblical words, choose life, hold fast to God. A lot of you will remember the Drew Carey show, TV sitcom that, sitcom that had a nine-year run ending in 2004. Drew was the star of the show. He also had a celebrity endorsement contract with the A&W root beer chain of eateries. And part of the way through that nine-year run of shows, he did a show on location in China, in Beijing, the high road to China. In that show, Drew loses his passport and all his money and finally takes refuge in a McDonald's restaurant. There he finally manages to endear himself to the manager by singing the McDonald's theme song. And the manager then gives him a free meal and helps him to get home. The A&W people were not amused. They claimed that their contract prohibited him from endorsing any rival products, and they fired him. That was a million-dollar contract. He had 600 k left, and he didn't want to lose it. He countersued. Of course, I don't know what all was behind that show and that slip-up. It's hard to think Drew didn't see the conflict of interest when he went into it. He not only chose A&W, he took their money. They don't want him singing the rival's song with millions watching. So he did violate his loyalty, and he did so using music. I think that's the worst part of it. He did it with singing. <laughs> singing arises out of our innermost self. Its words join to the affective side of our mind. Words and music are profoundly moving in a way neither can be separately. That's why we praise God above all with singing. He sang the rival's song, an image for the great and fatal temptation, the temptation that comes to Jesus when the devil offers him all the kingdoms of the world. Just sing my song. Judge Lyle's temptation, when he marveled at the gangster mind, sing our song, we'll make you mayor. And for us, you should never think you won't be tempted to the fatal compromise. Already, some of you who still think of yourself as on the Lord's payroll and maintain his identity may be humming the world's song. That's what we do when we draw back from Christian identity, begin to think of shortcuts to get us there faster, begin to pay our respects to the tempter. It's the temptation no longer to hold fast, to let go, no longer to keep sides, to sing the rival's song. Moses tells us, choose life. Love the Lord your God, obey his voice, hold fast to God. Now, I didn't tell you what Judge Lyle said when Al Capone wanted help in dividing Chicago up amongst the mobsters. Here's a message to take back to the boys, he snapped. We're not going to give them the town. We're going to take the town away from them. 
Now there's a song for us to sing, a song of Christian courage, a crystal declaration that instead of running the risks of compromise, we'll run the risks of integrity. We will hold fast to God, even at the cost of putting career and life on the line. And to sing that song is also to celebrate our link with the one who was tempted in all points as we are, yet without sin, and who is able to strengthen us when we are tempted. There's a song that holds us fast to God, that keeps me on the side I've chosen, and knows that in the moment of testing, the divine strength that holds me fast is there as well. Thanks be to God for his word. My name is Stephen Holmes, and I'm the chair of the Board of Governors of this school. And um, as many of you are aware, we've been searching for a new president. And um, we've been trying to listen to God's voice and holding fast to the principles of this school and trying to seek. And yet, at the same time, we've been seeking a candidate who would be holding fast and be listening to God's voice. And um, I want to thank you, each of you, for your prayers through this process as we've been doing that. And to the faculty for your willingness to participate with us and the staff for participating with us. We've had a candidate on property the last few weeks and, um, and it's been a wonderful time. There have been challenges. There have been concerns. There has been wonderful transparency and really a sense of the spirit. And um, the comments, and the, both verbally and written, have contributed tremendously to us being able to continue and move forward with this candidate, knowing that there is a sense of obeying the God's voice. And it is my great privilege today and honor to announce that we have um, invited, and it has been accepted, the invitation of president to Tyndale University College and Seminary to Dr. Gary Nelson. And uh, to me, this is a wonderful day that we will celebrate here in this institution, but we should do so ensuring that prayer is at the center of it, because that has been at the center of this entire process for us, both as a search committee, as a board, and, and I know as an institution when we called you to prayer as we first started to meet with him. So before I comment on some of Dr. Nelson's comments to you that I will read, I'm going to ask Susan Finley, who is also sits on the board, to come and pray for us. And just before, I want to reinforce how important prayer has been. It has been integral. It has been foundational. And you know, I didn't know actually that Steve was going to ask me to do this when I walked in. But interestingly enough, I was reflecting this morning, uh, Moses, when he was on the mountain, uh, or when the Lord first called him, the Lord only said to him, this will be the sign to you, you will worship on my mountain. That's all the Lord said, after you've brought the people out, after you've done everything. And I was thinking about that. And in looking back, we can see the Lord's hand. But I think those kinds of instructions 
keep you so reliant on the Lord. And then after the Israelites had come out and the, Moses had been up and down in the mountain a couple of times, then it says he went to then, I actually had the Bible marked here. He went to his tent, still at Sinai, and Moses said to the Lord, If you are pleased with me, teach me your ways so I may know you and continue to find favor with you. Remember that this nation is your people. The Lord replied, My presence will go with you, and I will give you rest. Then Moses said to him, If your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know you are pleased with us and with me and with your people? unless you go with us. What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you, and I know you by name. And Moses said, Now show me your glory. Let's go to prayer. O oh, our Father, Unless your presence goes with us, we cannot go. Father, show us your glory. We stand together around your throne in the name of Jesus Christ. We stand praising you. We stand thanking you for your perfect leading over the history of Tyndale and OBC and OTS and the rich history it has. You're leading over the last number of months as we have been searching for a president. president. And we are confident in your leading and the individual you have raised up as our president. For Father, we know it is not by flesh and blood, but by the power of your Holy Spirit that great things will happen in this place in your name. Father, we thank you for Dr. Nelson. We thank you for the many gifts you have given to him. We thank you that you called him, that he responded to your call, and that we have been brought together with him for this next stage of your school, your institution, Tyndale. Father, we pray that your Holy Spirit will infuse him with the leadership that you would have for this place at this time, with the wisdom that comes only from your Holy Spirit, with the discernment, with the knowledge, with all that is made possible only in the power of your Holy Spirit. So, Father, we pray that just as your messenger brought this morning, we pray for the life that is only possible when one is close to you. Father, we hold... Dr. Gary Nelson up to you. We hold Carla up to you. We pray that in the next few months, you will be working to 
prepare him fully for his task as he joins us fully on July 1st. We pray, Father, that you will work in our hearts. You will work in the hearts of students. You will work in the hearts of faculty. You will work in the hearts of staff, Father. That together, we will start out on the next step of the journey, confident in you, trusting in your word and in your Holy Spirit. And Father, we now go forward thanking you above all for the power of your Spirit, the gift of your Son, Jesus Christ, and the fact that you say to us, you did not choose me, but I chose you and have appointed you now to go and bear fruit. So, Father, we pick up the challenge. We go forward gladly and confidently in the name of Jesus Christ. And to him be all the praise and the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you, Susan. I know time is of the essence, so I'll try and keep this brief. But I, I had the opportunity of speaking with Dr. Nelson uh, yesterday, as uh, probably more than once. But uh, he, um, in his uh, acceptance, has sent me a letter that I'd like to read to you. It is with a sense of anticipation and humble sureness of God's call that I accept Board of Governors' invitation to become president of Tyndale University College and Seminary. This, as you know, has not been an easy decision. God has been leading. I believe that the next chapter of my life will be shaped by God's desire to see Tyndale flourish and reach the possibilities he has set before you. I accept this challenge in the knowledge that we will work together to make that possible. I want to thank the search committee for the sensitive way in which they have handled the process. You have never pushed nor have you compromised your convictions. You have allowed time of discernment to take place and have always been honest and frank in our discussions. To the Board of Governors, I extend my gratitude for the affirmation and trust you are placing on me. To the faculty and staff who will soon become my colleagues, I acknowledge that transitions such as these are not always easy. This has been a unique journey of discernment for me, and I have learned that God loosens the soil and provides discernments in much different ways than I had previously experienced. I look forward with great excitement to working with you as we shape together the next chapter of Tyndale's mission. To the students, I want to say how much I am looking forward to work being among you, you are studying at a unique academic institution because of its diversity, mandate, and educational setting. You are its richness. I could think of no greater time to be involved at Tyndale. This is a time to forge a way of being engagingly transformational as people of faith in a changing world. Tyndale University College and Seminary stands at a unique place in developing that voice and mind through its academic programs and community life. I am excited about working together with faculty and staff and student body to shape our vision and realize the opportunities before us. May the God who calls be the one who leads us forward into the next chapter of Tyndale's life. There is much to be in praise about, but yet there is still room and much to be praying about. As Susan said, Dr. Nelson will join us on the 1st of July, 2010. And in this interim period, 
The office of the President will continue to be held by myself, Susan Finley, and Mr. Archie McLean. We're interested in you, and if there's ever an opportunity or a time that you would like to discuss things with us, I would invite you to do so. May we leave this place today with the knowledge that uh, we are called to pray, we are called to do much in this world, and, uh, and we are also called to rejoice. And so for that, I, I let you be dismissed. On your in inboxes today, you will see much of the press release and the announcements that are going out. I think they're on Tyndale.ca in the news, and so feel free to, uh, to read that. Thank you, and thank you for your time. Thank you, Dr. Walker. <laughs>